<clears throat> seven almost altogether truly modern humans in which people around the world begin to look a lot like us and then even begin to act like us two of the authors have a disagreement and remain implacable more than likely it will come as little or no surprise that scholars have yet to agree on exactly what distinguishes thoroughly modern human beings people like you from our predecessors and when the transformation took place to begin with the entire matter is somewhat confused by the existence of what are called anatomically modern humans who appeared in africa about 100,000 years ago or more and who are in fact a bit different anatomically from what are truly thoroughly modern human beings anatomically modernity rather anatomical modernity arrived in fits and starts also these early or what could be called archaic modern humans were apparently a lot different behaviorally many people today of refined tastes might not find these archaic modern humans desirable dinner guests though some might whereas the person who carved the venus of willendorf would with a little work to be sure as with eliza doolittle fit in fairly well Another confusing point is that anatomically modern humans became behaviorally modern humans at different times in different parts of the globe, or at least what is what the archaeological evidence seems to say, and we are moving now into the period when a great deal more evidence has been found on the ground, in the ground, and therefore archaeology has a great deal more to say. In 1969, archaeologists came across the partial remains of one female and some 15 males in the Kwavze cave in Kwavze mountain in Israel. They turned out to be the earliest anatomically modern humans known to have ventured forth from Africa into the Levant. People of similar anatomy have been found in numerous sites in Africa, dating as far back as 160,000 years ago, and located from South Africa to Ethiopia. The oldest there are represented by the skulls of two adults and a child, found in 1997 in an arid valley near the village of Herto, northeast of Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. The skulls showed signs of having been deliberately removed from their bodies in some kind of mortuary practice. 
The skull showed some modern characteristics and some that fell beyond the modern range. The scientists named that remains Homo sapiens Idaltu, the subspecies names meaning elder in the local language. Not for another 70,000 years would these mostly modern humans venture forth from Africa. The Kuavze people have been tentatively dated to about 92,000 to 96,000 years ago, discovered by Bernard van der Smirsch of the University of Bordeaux in France. They have been collectively one of the centerpieces in the sometimes quite nasty debates about the nature, timing, and prehistory of Homo sapiens. They have been called anatomically modern, near modern, and proto Cro-Magnon. From partial skeletons, it was determined that their legs were almost as robust and muscular as the legs of Neanderthals. From cranial and postcranial fragments, it has been determined that their brains were about 1,500 cubic centimeters in volume, the same size as Neanderthal brains for the most part, and larger than the 1,300 cubic centimeter average brain of Homo sapiens sapiens. Also, they had larger teeth than you or I, teeth in fact that differed little from those of Neanderthals, who judging from the signs of wear, habitually used their teeth for heavy tasks such as clamping onto a piece of leather or wood. Not only did the Kwafze people share some anatomical features with Neanderthals, but they used the same stone technology as Neanderthals at that time, what is called the Musterian or Middle Paleolithic technology. But there may have been a difference in how the Kwafze people and Neanderthals used these similar tools. One scholar of such affairs made a great deal of the hands of the Kwafze folk suggested that the muscles are as revealed by the bones seem to have a grip adapted to using tools consisting of stone flakes or hammers that have been attached to hafts, presumably wooden hafts with mastic or gum. Such tools require a different grip than that which facilitates the use of mere rocks as hammers, a grip that characterizes Neanderthals. On the other hand, wooden spears have turned up at Schoeningen in Schoeningen in Germany, dating as far back as 400,000 years ago. These were clearly designed as front-weighted javelins based on some kind of knowledge 
of the dynamics of throwing and also presumably calling for some kind of precision grip on the part of Neanderthals. Indeed, it to suppose that the Kwavze people and their Neanderthal neighbors had significant differences in their hands does not sit well with other scholars, some of whom call the notion nonsense. The Kwavze cave dwellers differed from Neanderthals in important respects, however. Aside from their heavily boned and muscled legs, they were otherwise smaller, slenderer, or more gracile, as the anthropologists say, than any Neanderthals. The Kwavze people had such modern characters as a steep forehead and a high, short brain case that overlapped the, the face. The backs of their skulls were well-rounded, not the bulb shape of Neanderthals, and they had a protruding chin. By contrast, the typical Neanderthal face was long, narrow, protruding outward, chinless, and with a large nose. This latter feature presumed to be an adaptation to the cold, as were the Neanderthals' heavy, thick body and limbs and relative shortness. In 2003, Erola Hovers and her colleagues from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem found 71 pieces of ochre alongside the human bones buried in Kwavze Cave some 90,000 to 100,000 years ago. Ochre is a form of iron oxide that can be used as a pigment, especially once it is heated. There were signs that this ochre brought to the cave from elsewhere had been heated and applied to several of the stone tools present. It is arguable and of course much argued that the bodies were adorned with ochre when buried and this in turn suggests that the inhabitants had made the mental leap of associating the red-colored pigment with death. But ochre has other more utilitarian uses such as hafting points into handles and processing hides. So it takes more than stains of ochre on a body to settle the matter. Another clue about the identity of these people is that their remains were associated with the remains of African animals, suggesting that theirs was a foray out of Africa when that continent's game was expanding along the Levant during a salubrious climactic interval. But these near-moderns were later replaced in this region by Neanderthals, no doubt moving south and west of Europe. And they evidently hunted near eastern prey animals. The Africans either had failed to survive or had packed up when the weather changed and went home. The Kwavze cave dwellers were not, of course, the only near-moderns who have turned up. Many more have been found in Europe and elsewhere as well, 
and whether some or all of them or none of them were directly ancestral to the Cro-Magnon people who showed up in Europe about 40,000 years ago remains a question of juicy debate and argumentation. When truly modern people showed up in Eastern Asia is a question that remains even more moot, thanks largely to a relative paucity of studied archaeological sites there. Europe and the steppes of Russia have an abundance of sites, and these regions have become the center of inquiries into the matter of modern humanity. So much so, in fact, that many scholars have sought in recent years to counterbalance what seems like a Eurocentric emphasis. In fact, Russian archaeologists have recently turned up evidence in the Altai mountain regions of Siberia, as well as Central Asia of the early arrival of modern technologies as well, sometime before 45,000 years ago. In any event, even when Cro-Magnons showed up in the record, gracile and small-toothed as they were, and with fine chins, they still weren't completely and totally and totally modern anatomically because their teeth in particular, the molars, had not shrunk down to the size of most people's teeth today. This reduction in tooth size is generally attributed to the diet, more meat and less tough vegetable matter, and also regular cooking of foodstuffs to soften them up. Just why such features as teeth get smaller over the generations when big teeth are no longer necessary remains a bit mysterious. It probably has to do with the advantages gained by not using up energy during development to a greater size than needed. This calls for some pretty fine-tuned energy accounting in the part of natural selection, but it has plenty of time after all.